Welcome to the TPS 5 for the week of February 5th, 2021. TPS 5 is a weekly recap of the latest in marketing, communications, and digital healthcare news, as curated by the expert hosts of the Touchpoint Media Network. To learn more about Touchpoint Media, visit us online at touchpoint.health. Our lead story this week is from Medical Marketing and Media, where they share how marketers ponder the future of telehealth in the post-pandemic future. As we all know, in the early days of the pandemic, patients stopped physically visiting doctors' offices as the risk of COVID spread through communities across the country. And healthcare providers quickly responded and adapted to this new norm. We were able to pivot to using telemedicine as another mode in terms of connecting with patients, recalls Thomas Caprio, a professor of medicine and geriatrics at the University of Rochester Medical Center in New York. In-person visits didn't stop altogether, of course, but they dropped precipitously while telehealth visits rose. In Q1 2020, telehealth appointments increased by 50% according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And in the last week of March alone, they were up 154% compared to the same period a year earlier. And as the weather warmed and cases declined, the telehealth spike deflated somewhat. The number of virtual appointments declined while in-person visits ticked upward. With the arrival of colder weather and a second COVID wave, telehealth usage reached an interesting pivot point. Despite the unprecedented number of confirmed COVID cases in the U.S., more people were opting for in-person visits compared to the spring. And now, with the promise of widespread vaccination across the country in sight, it leads us to ask, what's the long-term state of telehealth? And is it where its believers or skeptics believe it to be, or somewhere in between? Our prediction is that the market has fundamentally changed, says Peter Alperin, an internal medicine doctor in San Francisco and VP of product at Doximity. According to Doximity, before COVID-19, less than 10% of doctors' appointments were virtual. And in their 2020 State of Telemedicine report, they predicted that telehealth appointments will account for 20% of all medical visits, which represents $29.3 billion for medical services. Doximity also predicts that that number will increase to $106 billion by 2023. Now, Dr. DiCaprio's personal experience supports these findings. While telehealth usage remains elevated compared to pre-pandemic levels, he noticed that during the summer and into the fall, most of his patients began preferring in-person visits. Overall, telehealth has proved itself not to be necessarily a game-changer, but more of another tool in the toolkit, Caprio said. Clearly, the long-term impact of telehealth is still very much open to debate, and marketers in and around the field are navigating a new landscape. For some, including brands firmly in the telehealth space, this moment presents a golden opportunity. Take, for example, the Smile Direct Club, which sells teeth aligners online. In September, they launched Telehealth Explained, an unbranded platform that provides information on various telehealth offerings. The aim was to explain to people what is available and normalize it, says Smile Direct Club CMO John Sheldon, and they accomplished this with their unbranded informational website. Point-of-care marketers and networks, which have traditionally relied on in-person office visits, came up with a variety of telehealth offerings and promoted them in different ways. Some sent condition-specific educational material, digitally or in the mail, directly to patients, Others put QR codes on in-office materials so people could pull up relevant educational and promotional information on their phones. 
And even more so, some companies are exploring ways to digitally target patients to reach them and help sway usage of telemedicine platforms. How much marketers will need to adapt and invest in these solutions hinges on long-term telehealth adoption, which remains an open question. For providers and patients, it's often a matter of personal preference. When it comes to his patients, Caprio has yet to find a formula for determining who is or isn't open to virtual visits. Ostensibly, revealing indicators such as digital literacy and medical history don't seem to have much of a determinative effect. Many patients who are tech-savvy and have a straightforward question prefer in-person visits, he said. Others, who are less comfortable with computers and have complicated medical histories, have few reservations about making the transition to telehealth. And he sees its distinct advantages and believes that for many reasons, telehealth visits can be just as informative as in-person ones. There's a lot I could do by observing patients on camera, he says, pointing to depression screenings and cognitive tests. And he adds that new patient visits rarely pose a problem, particularly when the patient provides a detailed medical history. And what's more, he has seen its firsthand ability to increase access to care. Patients who were unable to make early morning appointments with him because of the commute or who might have canceled due to poor weather conditions now log in from home. I don't want to do 100% telemedicine practice, but I could see this as being a significant portion of what I do in the future. Telehealth doesn't eliminate all issues around access. A significant percentage of Americans, particularly those in vulnerable demographics and in rural communities, lack adequate broadband. And then there's the question of coverage. In the spring, payers agreed to cover the full cost of a range of additional telehealth services. According to David Lindemann, director of health IT firm Citrus Health, many of these provisions were enacted as waivers. And as a result, it's unclear whether they will evaporate once vaccines are more readily available. State governments and providers need to work together to make many of the changes permanent, he notes. While a number of private payers have moved in that direction, Medicare is still the 800-pound gorilla. But he agrees. I do think telehealth is here to stay. We have shown how effective it can be. And you can read more of this story in our show notes. And now, other headlines from this week. Contently.com published an article entitled Content Marketing versus Copywriting. What are the major differences? Which highlights four key differentiators between content marketing and copywriting, many of which are often overlooked by marketers. Feetrail's post, Five Key Drivers That Will Improve Your Patient Experience, Best Practices from Healthcare Execs, reminds us that patient care is always top of mind for healthcare workers, and the National Patient Recognition Week is the perfect time to pause and reflect on the patient experience you're creating, and subsequently shares five key ways to improve your efforts. McKenzie published an in-depth study entitled COVID-19 Consumer Healthcare Insights, What 2021 May Hold, which reveals key insights from healthcare consumers. In fact, their survey found that the majority of American consumers respondents said that they expect COVID-19 pandemic to be better within the next nine months and will continue best practices to avoid illness. And lastly, be sure to listen to the latest episode of the Morning Fix podcast, leading a women's health company to an $80 million exit. Kim Rodriguez, former president, CEO, and co-founder of Assessa Health, shares the story of their recent $80 million acquisition by Hologic and how her background groomed her to get to where she is today. You can find links to all of these articles in our show notes. 
And that's it for this week's TPS 5. If you like the latest in healthcare news in an email format delivered weekly to your inbox, be sure to subscribe to the TPS Report, which you can find on the Touchpoint Media website at touchpoint.health. Be safe, stay positive, and have a great week.